I honestly do believe that the curriculum has to be the cornerstone of the school. If your curriculum is the same, then your students are always going to get a consistent education and it is going to lead to recognizing the themes and the illusions and all of the things that we want them to get. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. Seated with Paul, Tanya, and Martin. And today's topic is how to start a school. A step-by-step instruction. All you have to do is do the things we're about to say and it'll happen. Before we get there, Martin, I have to ask you, you're you're on the road. We were on the road last week. Did you find any time to read? Have you been reading anything recently? (laughs) Well, did I mention, I don't remember if I mentioned last time, I I started Theodore Momsen's Great History of Rome. Mm. And uh, very detailed, but you know, you want to, you want to know the original tribes of Rome and how they came together and all that stuff. Um, but again, just beautifully written. Um, we don't, scholars don't seem to want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they write for other academics in their own code language and they're not writing great English anymore. The other book I, I was, was reading, I'm started into, I think I mentioned this last time was uh, three musketeers oh, yeah. and it, which I found, you know, cause somebody told me, I think it was Paul. Paul told me that it, it wasn't as good as, as, um, the Count of Monte Cristo, and, I didn't, and you may very well be right, but I was expecting something much less from. But there's some interesting things in in the Three Musketeers. So sure, I'm, it I'm, doesn't have the plot complexity. The plot complexity. Okay, that's what you were saying, Tony. What about you? I'm reading Persuasion. Ah. Jane Austen, which is for our Memoria Press book group this time, and I must admit. I think I like Mansfield Park, my least favorite wow. Jane Austen, better than I'm enjoying Persuasion. So I don't know what's happened to me in the past 20 years. Sure, I think. Uh, is that what it is? Is Now, have you read Persuasion before? Yes, I've read them all before. And I loved all of them except Mansfield Park. And then this time when I read <laughs> Mansfield Park, I just loved it. Oh. So I do understand why it's Lita's favorite. Paul, what about you? I'm struggling with persuasion. Okay. Are you? I was. How far I was, along are you? Uh, I don't know, a quarter into it or something. Mm-hmm. But I, I was just trucking so quickly and wonderfully through the Sabatini novels, and then I hit persuasion, and I just like got bogged down. Well, and, there's not a lot of action in Austin. You really just have to yeah, read it from, for the satire on. Mm-hmm. I went to, from Captain Blood to Persuasion. Right, Ooh, I can see. That's quite a change. I can see that, shift that would. Gears there. You've got to really shift your mind gear, yeah. and your expectation needs to change. Yeah. <laughs> what I what I've been reading recently, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but I when I was sick, I was reading, and I read um, my old friend Alan Jacobs. I reread his book The Narnia, which is a biography of C.S. Lewis. So that was recent. Did I yes, mention that? You did mention okay. that. Okay. Uh, the what I started after that was I have always wanted. I went to non- nonfiction, my old habit, and I went back to that series of church history collections of church history, and I started reading through some of the Apostolic Fathers, and so I read the Letter to Clement, and have started going going there, and that's been it's been really interesting. Talk about a gear shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm reading From Plato to Christ because you recommended By it. By Louis, Louis Marcos. Yes. And that book is so accessible to me as a, an introduction to philosophy or, you know, to Plato, who I find very difficult. How far have you gotten? Not very far. Okay. Do you think it's not? 
Well, have you, have you read I'll it? be curious. He's uh, reading it. Okay. I've, I've reading gotten it? significantly yeah. into it. You think I'm, it's going to get too hard for me? I'm I'm not going to say either okay. way. I'm just curious. Okay. But I do want to say your comment about um, reading at night, because I, I came to you a, f- a few months ago where I, because I, I know you read first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up having like a rare morning where I woke up really early and I thought I'm just going to get up and do what I have to do on the farm. And then I had time to sit and read before I came into work. And I was like, oh my goodness, my, my mind is so much fresher than when I try to read at night is unfortunate. I that like most that of my too. time that I have is at night. Mm. Martin, Tanya, you two have both started schools basically, or at least been there as they were starting. Well, I guess been there as they were starting. I wouldn't <laughs> say I had started a school. Oh, Paul, you have, he been, was a student in a started a, school. Yeah, student in a started school. But then also you have been very close to people and been a- oh, worked with a prime, people. Someone, and, you know, even Marcy Davis at Rock Hill has told me that, you know, Rock Hill started because of your involvement and support. Oh, every time the phone it's rang for a year, every time the phone rang, it would, <laughs> somebody would say, Paul, it's for you. And we'd all say, Marcy Davis. <laughs> because she did call a lot. So what do you all think? is the single greatest challenge to starting a school? The people. I think that you've got to have the visionary. You can't just have a visionary and you can't just have a practical person who understands money, but you have to have both. Because chances are the person who has the vision for starting the school, the passion for education, who wants to educate children is probably not that objective money person. So you get in a situation when you start a school where you want students so badly and you want to fill your classrooms that possibly you don't charge enough tuition. Or, I mean, this all just sounds so cold and and without the warmth that you would need, you know, to to have the passion to start a school. But without that, you're just, it's not going to succeed. You can't do it without both. And that's what happened at Highlands is Cheryl had the vision. But sometimes the teachers, you know, she would forget to pay us or um, <laughs> or we would never get, you know, I would say, Cheryl, don't I owe you money for tuition? I haven't paid any tuition this year. And she was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. And then Brian had to come in and or it never would have lasted because that how no teacher's going to teach for free. You really just have to have both. They're both important, but you also cannot do it without the vision. Right. Or you shouldn't do it without the vision. It's not a business. Right. It is a business. It has to become a business, but it's really not a business. It's not a business for the same reasons <laughs> most businesses are. That, <laughs> that that makes no sense. sense at all, did it? Go ahead, Paul. Rephrase it. <laughs> I think that words. was beautiful. I think that was beautiful. <laughs> Or what about you? What do you think is one of the greatest challenges? Well, I think this is kind of another way of saying what Tanya just said, and that is you have to have leadership. Mm. And and you know, there's there's you kind of parsed out some Tanya kind of parsed out some of the qualities. I mean, you have to have a vision of what you want to do. Some somebody has to have in their mind what this school is going to be. And and so this is what Cheryl was so good at was she, she knew what she wanted the school to be. And it was a matter of, and she was very good at communicating that, um, it, you know, in, in, in the, in the classical education world, 
there are people who do that well. You know, there are also the practical people. And every once in a while, you find somebody who's good at both, you know, who can, who's, good, who's a good manager. Um, I, I can think of a few in some of our schools who are that way. Uh, but there has to be somebody who can inspire confidence in other people, in the staff, in, uh, among parents, and this sort of thing. And it, so it, re- it requires an ability to communicate. You got to have the vision and you got to have the ability to communicate that vision. And it helps if you have some of the practical skills, but those, you know, you can have somebody helping you and doing that. On the point of leadership, it, it seems like Martin, one of the experiences you and I have had and with Paul is where, you know, people are reaching out to Memorial Press all the time, just talking about their interest in classical education. And sometimes the nature of those calls is from people who maybe have resources and they're thinking, I want a school in this city, but they're not educators. They're not really even planning to be at that school. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, you know, I've talked about this before. You've kind of pointed out, it seems like usually that top-down approach, well, I've seen less of those schools be successful and more schools successful when it's parents who want to educate their own kids, but then yes. have a bigger vision. Why do you think that is? Why does the bottom-up approach seem to work better than the top-down? Well, you know, a lot of the the, the top-down attempts are are made by these business people using a business model. And obviously, like Tanya says, you got you got to pay people um, and you got to take intuition. Uh, but if you have a group of people who, again, who have that vision, I mean, a lot of the times the financial people, they don't know exactly what they want. They can't see what they want, but they have the money to make it happen. And so if they can find somebody who's got the vision, but that, that vision is usually going to come from from parents, they know what they want and they may not all know exactly what that's going to look like, but if they, 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 and they still need that leader, if they can find that leader, sometimes it's among them and they can do that. So we've seen a lot of cases of that, but yeah, I, I just, I just think uh, that the things that a parent knows that their child needs, that's more important than what some business person thinks this institution that they're going to build is going to need. That's they, they, they're dealing with it in the abstract. Mm-hmm. And, and you need and people who can really deal with it on the ground practically. That's right. And parents are going to fight for what mm-hmm. their kids need. That's right. And mm-hmm. they're going to be passionate about it in a way that somebody who's coming in and just wants to plop something down and, you know, if you'll build it, they will come sort of idea just won't have that that passion for. They may see the need and they may want to be charitable to their community, but it's just not going to have that fire on it. Not the same as if like it's, imperative that my children be educated right. in the best way possible. And so I'll do anything I need to do to make that happen. And, and, you know, we've all seen these attempts that go on even in the classical world that are very top down and we establish this board and then we go down from there and they do a bunch of things that look like schooling and look like classical education. And, but there, there's, there's often not enough heart in it. And, and that's what parents provide. They provide this, this substantive motivation behind everything um, that you can't get by, by, you know, starting an organization and doing the, doing the, 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 the organization papers and doing all that. It, it doesn't really work that yeah. well. And you've got to have, you've got to have the, the people around you. They're not going to make much money um, because this is, you know, to start a school is you, it's just hard to get off the ground. And so you've got to have people, other people dedicated to the vision who are willing. It's a, it's a sacrificial offering to start a school. 
And so you've got to find those people. And we see it all the time in schools that start that they're just the person with the vision just is surrounded by other people that have that same vision and who are willing to do whatever they can to help. And it's it's a community effort. Yeah. And uh, to go back to your original question, what's the kind of the hardest or, or biggest Paul, obstacle? I was about to ask you, yeah. what do you no, think gonna, is the greatest gonna, challenge I, to starting I, a school? I actually wanted to just bring that up. Left out. Is that sitting over there? I, I wanted what, to bring I, it up in order to contradict the very me? question. Um, I think... You know, I mean, in the tons of conversations I have with people about starting schools, you, you know, from my perspective, I never know what this person's gifts are and where where their lacks are. Right? We all have we all have things we're good at and things we're not good at. You know, that leadership portion is going to come to them very easily, but then what's what's going to stop them? You know, it could be anything. You know, I I worked we worked with a lady once who had a school by accident. Um, she, she had eight or 10 kids. She was homeschooling. Her friend had eight or 10 kids. Her friend got to a point where she's like, I can't homeschool anymore. I'm burned out. My only option is send them to public school. And she said, don't do that. Send them to me. I'll homeschool. Them. All of a sudden she's got 16 to 18 kids in her, in her house. And so then the next year she's like, I guess I've got a school and she had 50 kids and, <laughs> you know, and it just kept growing and it ended up being that the fire marshal came in and shut her down because, she didn't have because uh, her and her husband ended up buying like a farm with a farmhouse and a and a garage stuff. They kind of retrofitted for classrooms and and the and the fire marshal was like, you can't you can't do that. Like this is unsafe for the kids. But like she had everything else in place. Her tuition was firing. She she was able to pay her teachers. She had good teachers. She had good curriculum. And it was that one thing that mm. stood in her way, right? And it was it was very sad. We you know and and um did everything we could to help her through that one. But, uh, but I also want to say that we are assuming that you already have a curriculum set. If it weren't for having a Memorial Press curriculum that you're just ready to roll with, that would be the massive challenge of starting right. school right. of where, what am I going to choose to use? Right. But you don't have to make that choice. Have, that's right. That's right. It's already well, ready there's, for a, there's a big, dis, there's a big difference between, you know, having a business plan and deciding which programs you want to use and how you're going to promote this in a promotional campaign and a bunch of parents getting together and wanting their children to learn mm. and knowing the books they want them to know and developing a reputation that goes around the community without a budget. It's just, it's just word of mouth. The, the, the latter is far easier to do. It's usually much more successful. Um, and you, you got to bring some of the principles on the other along later on when you, you know, when you are successful at doing those first things. But, you know, we, 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 we think so abstractly about how to start an institution mm -hmm. and we need to think just more concretely about how that works. Yeah. So one of my experiences, because a majority of what I've done the last couple of years is talking to people who aspire to start schools. And one of the things that's been really hard, I think, is that they ask me, you know, for specific advice. And my question is always, well, or my answer is always, well, it kind of depends. Mm -hmm. How many students do you have? Where are you in the country? What, mm -hmm. how many, what are your goals? What is the scope that you're, you're pursuing as there? It is a very, um, not relative, but circumstantially uh, dictated endeavor. What is advice that you all would give to people who are in that position where they don't know what questions to ask yet? What are questions that people should be asking when they set out to start a school? One of the first things is where. Hmm. 
finding a building can be very difficult. But another first question is, how many grades are you going to offer? Right. That's a that you have to establish that early on too, because mm-hmm. you can't start getting students until you know which grades and how many days and how long those school days are going to be. Right. I mean, those are just basic and not, questions. Not bite off more that you more than you can choose. Yes. Oh, I'm a big fan of starting a very small school at first and just letting it grow. So how how small would you say? I like K to two to start mm-hmm. or three to six or. Um, I mean, K to six even is a stretch because then you get families with multiple children and you're and you could end up with two third graders and six sixth graders and four kindergarten students. And you really haven't you you're not doing K to six. Right. And can, can I say, too, that we always think we need to start with the lower grades. But in both the schools that I was at a, at a hand in helping to start, uh, one of one of which was Highlands, we started in the middle. Because right. we were, we knew that our our clientele was largely going to be homeschool families, and homeschool families have an easier time in the lower. They don't need help as badly a lot of times in the lower grades. It's when they their kids uh, get into fifth, sixth, seventh grade that they start needing outside help. So we kind of used that uh, at Highlands um, as a way to start a school, and we started in the middle school, and then we worked outwards both directions and ended mm-hmm. up as a K through 12 school. Whereas like North Star Classical in Ohio, they started with a junior kindergarten and every year they've added. Mm-hmm. And so the next point, year was kindergarten. The next year was first grade. Yeah. Point and, and it's, it's a different way. They both right. work. Whereas mm-hmm. Holy Trinity in South Carolina, they started, they were going to start K to three, but they had so many families that came looking for K to three that had siblings in fourth or fifth grade that they started K to five. And, and I added a grade a year. The other thing I like besides even just deciding what grades are we going to do is like our cottage school model, which is really how Cheryl started this Highlands was we're going to offer Latin from eight to 10 classical, like famous men of Rome from 10 to 12. It was a la carte literature from, one to three, so you didn't have to have an entire class of each grade. Right. So everybody could take the beginning Latin class. Everybody could take Famous Men of Rome. And so that way you build your, it was one day a week, you build your student body, and then you can kind of see where your students are and where you need to go to expand it. But I like the a la carte system Which was just a way first. of saying, just start with a few classes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that's the best way. That's right. You don't have to be doing everything from the get-go. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you start with a few classes, and even if you're not 100% sure what that means, like, are you... Am I going to be able to find that teacher next year to be able to teach that second level while I'm teaching the first level or something? Like, you have a year to figure that out. You'll find that person. There, there's two ways to, to, to grow a tree. One is to get a little seedling and stick it in the ground and, and water it and do all that. The other is to go out... And I suppose somewhere this actually happens, they do this in movies, that's go out and find a 30-foot tree, get a huge tractor, dig it up and slot, you know, plop it down in a big hole. I mean, the, the, to me, it's kind of the same kind of thing. We try, yeah. to, we try to put the big tree in and well, really- we should you start just, with the seedlings. Yeah, you just need to start with the seedlings. The, the struggle and, and the reason why a lot of schools that I work with do start bigger and not, not smaller is because when you're trying to start something- all energy moving forward. You, you just never know what you're going to capture. And you, yeah, family comes in and they're your first family. And they're like, well, I have a 14 year old and I have a five year old. What do you have for me? And, right. and you're like, well, we want everyone. And then we want to try to find a place for everyone because we're starting. And so I think that that is the, the main challenge is trying to navigate 
what what are we really able to offer here right. and what and I, you can't start large you're just going to it's going to be more painful and it is and, and finding all those teachers and being able to pay them with only mm-hmm. 3 or 4 kids in a class right is a problem too you know if you don't have capital if you don't have an investor who's willing for you to not make money for a few years until you get it off the ground you really just need to start where your budget is right so Thinking beyond the challenges of starting a school, you mentioned that the Memorial Press curriculum is something we've assumed here. Why is it so important that you have a curriculum in mind when you're starting a school? Well, maybe elaborate on your answer before. Well, if you don't have a, a curricular plan, you you have to ask yourself all the questions. Okay, what books are we doing in each grade? What, How are we getting them to a senior year or an eighth grade year, however, however long we're going to go, how, how are we stair-stepping this to where they're going to be successful here, right? You've got to ask all those questions. Question we've spent the better part of 25 years asking, right, what's, what is appropriate here? What's the best way to do this? Like you've got to make all that decision, all those decisions in six months, right? And you, our curriculum was, from a top-down approach, you have to go, you have to decide immediately, where do I want my students to go? What do I want them to accomplish? And what do I need to do in the lower grades to make that happen? And so that's a big, that's a big ask. And Cheryl did it, but I couldn't have done it. She was so well-read and she was just a brilliant person who could go through a whole bookshelf of books and decide which was the best, but not your general average person can't make all of those decisions. And I, and another thing is I feel like, and I know I, every time I say this, I think you're saying, you know, that people think you sell books. So of course you're going to say this, but I honestly do believe (laughs) not sales, book sales aside, I honestly do believe that the curriculum has to be the cornerstone of the school because teachers are going to come and go. Administrators are going to come and go. But if your curriculum is the same all the time and it's set from the beginning, then your students are always going to get a consistent education and it is going to lead to the them recognizing the themes and the illusions and all of the things that we want them to get. Uh, one time Cheryl Lowe turned to me and she said, Paul, you really need to um, market the curriculum manuals that we have as a way to start a school. Mm-hmm. And what that told me was what she found to be the most daunting task of starting Highlands was in fact defining the curriculum. Right. Because mm-hmm. she's basically like, if I had had this, it would have been so easy. Right. Because that was, that was her biggest challenge. This is a big challenge for schools. And part of it is a misconception because I think that uh, most schools, schools think they have, most schools think they have a curriculum, but they really don't have a curriculum. They have standards. They have a bunch of books out there. They have a bunch of teachers and it's sort of a shake and bake uh, method of of doing this. You know, you, a, a curriculum is a very well thought out approach so that so that you make progress from from grade one to grade two to grade three, and and you have to have every teacher in a particular grade teaching the same thing, so the students end up at the end of that grade in the same spot because the next grade is going to continue on from there, 
and, and a lot of schools just, they have a good teacher in a classroom and they're doing one thing and they're doing the thing they like. And they may be, even be using a book completely different from a teacher in another grade. That does not work very well. You can't make progress that way. And so I think this is the most underrated uh, uh, concept in education is a real actual curriculum that everybody in the school is using. And, and I mean, to your point, the, the amount of time in a school that doesn't have a consistent curriculum spends every year of trying to assess mm-hmm. what should I be expecting mm-hmm. of these fifth graders instead of saying, I know what they did in fourth grade and so we're going to move on. I mean, they, they lose a tremendous amount of time trying to assess and figure out diagnostically. Now I have to change my whole plan for what I was going to do in fifth grade because my fourth graders aren't ready for what I expected them yeah, to do. There's a lot do. of wheel spinning that goes mm-hmm. on in schools. Speaking of teachers, that's one of the main challenges for startup schools is, is finding and hiring teachers. How would you advise a person starting a school in when they call and ask, what do I do? How do I find teachers? It, that's a hard one to find to find a building and then to find your teachers. I think to, when you start a school, hopefully you will have you can draw among people that you know to help you with some of that. But eventually you need teachers that hope that maybe you could get from and it depends too if you've got a one or two day a week school nobody can afford that to be their job so then you either have to pull from homeschool moms who can give you one or two days or students we pull from a lot of seminary students who can give us part-time work who aren't looking for full-time work but that's the hard thing is when you start a school your teachers are going to have to be part-time generally, unless you really can start a full-time, five-day-a-week school. But we that's not the majority of what we see happening. Right. And and I've, I've seen a couple of schools start up that have the backing of a church. And because they were saying, okay, we're going to be five days a week, I, they were, I remember a couple of them calling me going, well, this was surprising and encouraging. We had an open house and, you know, out of the, you know, out of the people that came up and approached us afterwards, I had three or four people say they wanted a teacher. Right. Right. Because they identified with the, the, the mission of the school. And so I think when, when you start saying, I'm going to do something like this, I, I have found m- more people have been shocked by the amount of people that come out and say, I want to teach for you, even from a startup school perspective because there's a lot of teachers out there disillusioned with what they're currently being asked to do. Yeah, and I just, I was thinking about that this last week at the Greenville Homeschool Convention and how I need to start saying this very explicitly to homeschooling mothers because when we were starting a school, um, homeschooling was still fairly new and um, so finding a teacher was a lot harder but but now there's a lot of homeschooling mothers who are about finished and who 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 are have are all this knowledge, and they have right? All this and they've knowledge. taught every grade. Yes, yeah, and and so I want to start telling homeschool parents: Look, you need to think about something. Think about a calling here, because mm-hmm. because you know all this material that you've taught your children. Take that. And, and help the rest of society with that. Right. Go to go, knock on the door of your local uh, uh, Christian school and see if they need um, uh, if they need a teacher. And it's likely they probably do. And and I think that that my other thought is that you kind of said this is that there's a conventional way of starting a school, which is uh, 
five days a week. Uh, you come in in kindergarten, well, maybe hopefully not kindergarten. We don't even do kindergarten every day, but um, and starting a cottage school. Or, and you can move from from a cottage school, a two day a week school, a three day a week school, just like we did. We expanded out. Now we 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 still are only four day days a week because because that's that should do the trick. But um, you can start smaller. You don't have to start with a full schedule. You can right. start with a more limited schedule, and that way you can get the the homeschool, uh, 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 even current Help. homeschool yes. mothers coming in and helping. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about challenges. So I want to end here. What about encouragement? Give one thought of encouragement toward anyone listening and why you should start a school. We need classical Christian schools in this country, and we need people to start them. Why should someone bite off all of these challenges and sacrifice it take up this calling of sacrifice i think that there are a lot of people out there who feel like they want to do this but they're afraid Mm. i have i think at every homeschool convention i go to there is somebody that says to me i've played around with starting a school i just don't know where to start and so i think if those people are out there and if they really feel like this is something they want to do then they need to contact you. I mean, we've Shane got so much help. Yeah, <laughs> we've got so much help that we can offer um, to get started. And so it's a scary thing to step out and do it and not to know where to even start. And we've just barely touched on things to consider. There's so much more, but we do want to partner because you're right. We need these schools. So I would just say those people I don't think we need to convince a lot of people that they need to start schools. I think those people are out there already thinking about it and just don't know how to make that first step. Mm. And, and I, also, I also think that um, that there's going to be a greater and greater demand for private uh, schooling in general, for Christian schooling and classical schooling in particular. Classical schooling is the growth um, is the growth model in, in education because I think I think public schools are starting to implode uh, for a lot of reasons because of, you know, some the, con- the controversies we see going on in them, but also just, you know, the COVID policies, the, the, there's all kinds of things. And also because more and more states are, are passing these laws where the money follows the cho- follows the student and not doesn't go straight to the school. And this is going to create opportunities for people. These school choice programs are, are expanding everywhere. So you're going to see a lot more parents considering private schooling. And, and I really think that, um, I really think that private schools are going to be bursting at the seams. They are bursting. I mean, all their enrollment is up because of, because their children came home during COVID Mm -hmm. and the parents recognized that they were not being educated. Yeah. COVID changed everything. It did change everything. This really is the time to start. This really is the time to start. If you've been thinking about it for five years, and you you haven't been sure, like this is a very good time to you know put some feelers out there, see if if your friends would send their kids, and yes, that's the first step. If it would. It's really nice if you can get help. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it alone, if you even if you just got one person that has the same vision as you, then a partner basically, then. Um, You'll have a. It'll be an easier time for you, and better, and more yeah, supportive. And, and Shane can help you do. This. And She's, Shane yeah. will well, help. My you. my answer to the question is is that I I think I kind of think about this every time I pick up the phone with one of these conversations. Is that my goal is really to just can is is just to 
help people to believe that they can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is that they don't need to write a whole curriculum. It's already been written. They don't need to come up with a a vision of pedagogy. It's already been established. There's a way to come and view it every summer. Um, It's applied common sense and sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And all the people I've helped to start schools all are yelling at me right now at their radios because I didn't tell them about all the pain involved. I just convinced (laughs) them that they could do it. Um, But, you know, that's... That's what it takes. And I think every one of them also sees how rewarding it's been to give their children and the children in their community this education. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about is the children. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for this conversation. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.